out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastor and the C86 Show. Welcome once again. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Nightingales, all to be quite honest, Robert Lloyd, or Rob Lloyd to his friends, um, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry. For those who are interested, and frankly you probably are because you wouldn't be listening to this, there is a new film that is going to be out on the 6th of February 2021, titled King Rocker, um, that was made with the help of people like Stuart Lee and directed by Michael Cumming. Um, so yes, do check it out. Anyway, this is the interview, and after several minutes of casual chat with Rob, as you do, it's showbiz. We got down to that exciting subject that was the new film. What is the new film that's about to be um, released into the world? I managed to see a copy at the weekend. It's fantastic. Anyway, look, I won't spoil any more and just get down to it. So, um, Rob, save this interview now. Anyway, this is quality chat. You'll love it. Anyway, tell us about the film, Rob. Well, I haven't got a new film out. I've got the only film out. The, the only film <laughs> out. Like well, the, um, it's not like I've had previous films out. <laughs> or, well, slightly, because you had that bit with John Peel, the John Peel bit from decades ago. So, But this is the only film that, about you called King Rocker that has just... Well, it's just about to hit the uh, the sort of whatever... Uh, airwaves, I suppose, isn't it? Because I managed to get, a, I managed to see a copy of it over the weekend, so I was very pleased to see that. Because now I know what I'm talking about. And also, I came to see you in Norwich about three years ago when you were promoting your latest album or one of your latest albums. So I feel like I'm up to speed with the whole sort of Rob Lloyd enigma. Good. <laughs> so how did it... that, that? That's useful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So look, how did it? Uh, you know, I mean, being of a certain generation or gender or something, I don't know. BBC Four on a Friday night would often have music documentaries, and we of a, of a certain age love those things, whether whatever the band. And then recently, I've noticed there's lots on things from the eighties. You know, there was. There's the wedding presents, Stephen, doing Steve McQueen, the album, and then there's the chills, the go-betweens, the dolly mixtures, um, lots basically. There's a lot, and and now the Nightingales. So obviously, you know, thirty, thirty-five years seems to be a passing of time where we now look back and and sort of start to look at it a bit differently and think that was art. That wasn't just disposable indie pop. Well, I don't. Um... I don't consider uh, the Nightingales an '80s band, really. I mean, we might have, I might have started the band in, in fact, I probably started the band in '79. I'm not sure, but um, but that was just like a, a, a slim period of of what we've done. So, um, um, and in terms of like, you just rattled off a load of uh, a load of groups that. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that people are not interested in that, but I'm not particularly interested in that. I don't. I definitely don't consider the um, the nothing else an '80s thing, and I don't think it's to have the film made. And I mean, as you just said yourself, you came to see us in Norwich a few years ago when we were playing our latest album. We weren't playing an album from the '80s. No, you like, you like a lot of like uh, I know a lot of bands are sort of uh, nostalgia types, 
they'd kind of go, oh. I mean, it's a way to sell tickets, of course, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not its not my thing. No, and also that means you don't have to learn the new material from 35 years ago, thinking, I have no idea what these chords are, all these lyrics. So that, that kind of keeps it slightly easy, I guess. Well, we have... Um, I would imagine that's the case. I mean, I, I can't play a, a note on any instrument, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if it, the music's more uh, complicated now than it was then. No. But, like, you know, for example, um, I don't know if you know um, Bliss, you know, as you're a, a Norwich... A Norwich uh, person, bloke. yes. Um, but... I mean, she wasn't even born when the first Nightingale's Out record came out, you know. That's just strange, isn't it? Anyway, I know she's a taxidermist as well. We find so much out on the film. So when 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 the uh, when did the idea of the film get sort of uh, muted? Because obviously, you know, we have a lot of good ideas, you know, at late at night under sort of influence of drink and other stuff. And then you wake up the next morning and you think, oh, my God, I hope everyone's forgot that idea because I, I think it's dreadful now. But you obviously had the idea and then ran with it, which is quite interesting. It's well. It's not. It's not quite the way that Stuart sort of tells it in the film, actually, <laughs> because um, many years ago, um, I, I can't remember how many years ago, but a long time ago, it was, Phil Jupiter was the person who said to me, "I would like to make a documentary about the Nightingales," and at the time, because he's you know, he's obviously in with the BBC and he was trying to do it as a television thing. And um, it, as has become obvious, it never came to fruition. But um, during the during the course of him trying to sort that out, I told Stuart about it and, um, and said, um, oh, I think it would be quite a good comedy film of like the sort of uh, world's, biggest losers kind of thing and he and he was going no you shouldn't do that you know the band is too good to be just some sort of joke documentary and and i said oh you know it made me think about it a bit but anyway the the full jupiter's idea never never actually uh happened and then out of the blue one day i, I got a phone call from Stuart, sort of going um He'd been he'd been um, involved in a documentary about a folk singer called Shirley Collins, and he's going. I've now met a producer um, that that's, that I believe in and that I trust, and maybe we should make that Nightingales documentary that you've always talked about as though it was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he says that he even says that in the film of like, oh, Rob said to me, oh, I'm thinking of making a film about myself and blah, 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 and all this. It just wasn't like that at all. But um, <laughs> but when, it, when, he, when he suggested it to me, I, th I, I thought it was going to be a film about the Nightingales uh, rather than about me specifically. And, um, and I thought, yeah, you know, like, fucking hell, no one's, no one's really shown any... <laughs> Any interest in this before now, so let's go for it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then, yeah. obviously, unearthing material, especially from that period, because we didn't sort of 
film and photograph everything as you would now, which would be no problem. But then it's a bit different, isn't it? Because very few people had cameras to take pictures and then even less people had um, footage. But you were quite lucky in the sense that John Peel, the amazing John Peel, was, uh, had done that little bit of film of you, which kind of adds to, adds to the narrative. Well, yeah, um, um, it, it's a it's a bit of a weird one that is actually, David, because um, I I agree with you very much that um, you know, like nowadays, even if you get on the bus, some kids probably filming you. You know what I mean? Um, but it's it's surprising how much footage there are when you see kind of documentaries or um, of bands and stuff. It, there's like Super 8 footage of uh, the Velvet Underground rehearsing or the Pink Floyd on a beach or, you know what I mean? There's actual videos for C. Emily play and Arnold Lane and all yes. that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and um, everyone seems to, seems to have some footage of themselves as kids in a paddling pool and blah 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 whereas we just didn't um the the background i'm from there was um there's no footage of me at all as a kid and when Stuart and michael came to make the film the um you know stuff on television or um or any kind of outtakes and stuff was um very thin on the ground yes absolutely there there was only the arena John Peel um, program, and and then a bit later on, yeah, you got the thing of us with first box on Razzmatazz and us on German television, and they but they were the the three <laughs> things, the three bits of footage that you could get from. Uh, you know, a uh, ten or twenty year period. Yes, which must miss me. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there's, you know, like. Paul Weller's dad's got some super eight footage of the jam practicing in um, in a garage somewhere, you know, for as and when he pegs it, they'll put they'll put that on kind of thing. <laughs> um, because it was it was it was interesting in the film um, because one of uh, you know I mentioned earlier about you know these documentaries that we love to watch on you know musicians and bands if you're a fan I suppose if you're if you're in the game you're probably not so interested but one of the favourite ones was Danny Fields and um, and he, well, and how they did that which was quite interesting was they used that kind of cartoon narrative cartoon animated piece to sort of depict, you know, Jim Morrison hanging out with Nika because obviously no one was going to be there at the time and they would have been a bit freaked out if they were. So they kind of managed to do it. And you've, you, they've also used a slightly similar uh, style to sort of pull together parts of this film. And as you said, or no, as I just said there, <laughs> Danny Fields is suddenly part of your narrative, which is quite boggling. And um, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, don't want to have a, any spoilers here, but it's quite an extraordinary story, isn't it, from being this young kid sleeping under a car in a garage to suddenly hanging out with the Ramones and Danny Fields. Well, David, you've actually touched on something um, that's both kind of remarkable and also it's taken me back because... Uh, excuse me. <coughs> um... For a start, I haven't seen the film that you're talking about, about Danny Fields. 
Right. <laughs> so that's something that um, is immediately top of the list of things I need to do. <laughs> um, I didn't even know it existed. Oh my god! But um, I, I've been in. I've been in a bit of a constant. Um, excuse me if I ramble on a, b- a bit about this because I think it's quite an important thing. Um, but I've been in a, a bit of a constant argument with the producer of the film because uh, the poster f- for the film, it's got like, um, a, you know, kind of featuring Stuart Lee, Robert Lloyd, John Peel, and then a bunch of characters like... Uh, um, Nish Kumar, for example, is one of them, and and it hasn't got Danny Fields, and I, I've been constantly going. He's the fucking star of the film. He's the most, uh, he's the biggest star in that, in the entire movie. Get him on the poster. Yes, and, God, that's, and, that's uh, a shocker. I mean, we don't yeah, really, really, really. I'm glad you feel that way. Um, and, it, and it's just been an ongoing thing. Um, and the producer just doesn't seem to be taking me seriously. He thinks that, um, yeah, Nish Kumar or Frank Skinner or someone is more, um, you know, it's, yes. it's just such a short-term view of things. Well, that, but what... anyway, back back to the thing. Um, when me and my two pals hitchhike down. The Ramones were doing two gigs. The first two gigs they ever did in the UK, they supported the Flaming Groovies at um, uh, the Roundhouse, and then the following day they played at Dingwalls. As a, they, it was July the 4th, an in American Independence Day gig. Um, Johnny Ramone would have liked that, of course. And, um, <laughs> he loved Reagan. <laughs> and um, uh, and we hitchhiked down to to see them, and and we got there early. So when they turned up for sound check and blah 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 blah, you've seen it all in the picture anyway. And uh, but Danny was just amazing, and it was, and I was, um, even though I was like a sort of uh, shitty teenager from a small town in the UK. I knew who Danny Fields was. I knew that he'd been an A&R man at Electra Records. I knew he'd signed the Stooges and the MC5 and Nico, you know, <laughs> this kind of stuff. So the fact that I got to meet him was just phenomenal. And the f- and I didn't know. Well, um, and I've got to tell you, by the way, David, I've never actually seen the finished um, King Rockham film, so, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe things have been edited a bit differently than I remember them. But I didn't know that they'd met Danny Fields and he was in the film at all. And so when they sent me what was kind of the uh, rough cut of the finished film, and this is about a year ago, I suppose, and and when Danny appeared in it, you know, and you've got Danny Fields, manager of the Ramones, Vicky <laughs> and the Stooges, you go like, well, fuck me. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's, in, he's in my, he's in a film about me. Yes. That... And, um, and, uh, and I just, I just find that the most phenomenal bit of the film. And you're the first person that seemingly 
noticed <laughs> this this remarkable thing. So, uh, well, I think uh, when when you get to I don't know, you can I think you can buy the DVD, but if you, or you got Netflix and there's a film called Danny or Danny Fields, and it's one of those ones you kind of have to watch twice because it's quite unbelievable his story, and and so you know I think anybody who's seen it just thinks, my God, this guy. I mean, I'm so pleased they made a film about him, but also he's the most charismatic kind of character you you ever seen in front of a camera. But all his life is just signing these amazing artists, and then basically getting kicked out of the band or getting you know like. So it was. It's a bit like a Phil Silver's character, you know. But he seems to be able to roll with the punches. So he was there from the beginning, you know, of kind of I suppose the the early. I, I, I mean, as I, as when I met him, what what I kind of got, and I haven't seen the film that you're talking about. I mean, I'm, I I didn't even know it existed, so I'm immediately intrigued, you know. Um, before this day is over, I will have found found that and watched it. Um, but um, yeah, when I met him, he just seemed like a fella that kind of wanted to fuck the Bank City Rollers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the impression I got. Yes, God, um, the Bank City Rollers. But, but but then he'd managed the Stooges and the Ramones and signed Nico and the MC5. So you just think, well, that's good enough for me yeah he's absolutely so when you as sort of you were sort of pouring through you know like the film and obviously you didn't sort of realize that they use that sort of slightly animated quality through it then as Stuart and Michael were sort of like prodding and poking and trying to pull this narrative narrative together I mean your story then you know because you have your sort of because doing a lot of interviews with the C86 band thing, they have n- normally have five years, don't they? You get together, you have your honeymoon period, the first single, John Peel play, you know, then the John Peel session, the first album, things going well, second album, not so good, and then it's all over, and then that's, that's it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but your, your story is kind of a little bit more boggling because you, you sort of start a record label, which is often, you know, like, my God, even John Peel had a go at that, and that was a disaster. But yours happened to be really successful in the sense of, I, I don't mean to sound surprised, but, you know, normally you don't sell that many records and you think, what was I thinking? But you you find, signed the Fuzzbox, or, yeah, that's right. And they yeah. become these kind of enormous kind of stars who, who went on to WEA Warners. So that must have been, you know, within the film, that was kind of in, interesting seeing how that must have pulled you creatively into a, di- a direction which was quite tricky. Oh, well, it, well, it did. It it dissolved the Nightingales for a period of time, for sure. Um, I mean, what happened? It, 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 I'll try and sum it up in a nutshell. Really, was I started doing the record label because we'd be we'd recorded for Cherry Red and got dropped. We recorded for Red Flame and got dropped, and. And when I was looking at it, I was thinking, well, they never did anything for me that I couldn't do for myself, really. So, um, so we started the Vindle. I I say we. I hate it when people call themselves we. Um, So I started uh, the uh, the label predominantly to put out um, Nightingale's records. Then um, I put out Fuzzbox and 
it was a remarkable sort of uh, interest straight away, you know, um, and um, I, I, I never anticipated being a record label boss, and I certainly never anticipated First Box being uh, a big hit or whatever. But um, as you say, um, over a short period of time, they just became really, really successful. And it wasn't just Warner's. Every record label um, wanted to sign them. Um, my big regret was um, because at the time I'd got um, an answer machine on my phone at um, where I lived. And I wish I'd kept all the messages that that I was getting on the phone because it was people were ringing them up thinking it was Fuzzbox's management and, and not realising it was me and it would be sort of EMI records or Ireland records or Sony you know and they were all kind of going like um, we want to sign you up stop um, being with that fucking arsehole <laughs> 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 and, um, and I just I wish I'd I'd kept all the messages and put them on that kind of flexi disc that they could put out with their first album or something, you know, of um, of just all these record company bods slagging me off and telling them how popular they could be if they weren't involved uh, with Vindaloo. Right. But any but anyway, that didn't happen, unfortunately. Oh. I mean that 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 is one of the. That is seriously one of the uh, kind of biggest regrets of my uh, so-called career that I didn't keep those messages because they were hilarious. <laughs> and um, but eventually they signed to Warner's, and, and at the time, uh, Warner's were. Well, it shows how how bloody dated things are now, but at the time. It was the big fear was that they would look like they'd sold out <laughs> by signing to a major. So the first few records that Warner's paid for and released were still on the Vindaloo label because they wanted they they didn't want it. They were trying to break it in gently. <laughs> Excellent. It's ridiculous now, isn't it? But they were trying to break it in gently to their fans that they'd um, that they'd sold out. Yes, because that that subject of, of being a sellout or also yeah, in in the eighties. I mean, no one would understand what that means. But I do. I remember there was a big thing when Sonic Youth signed to a major after being on something like SST Records, and it was like. You know, for months this ran, you know, it's like there must have been... This is what we used to angst about when a, a sort of band you loved signed for Virgin or signed for, I don't know... Yeah, EMI with the devil at the time, weren't they, because of some sort of, I don't know, business they had in another industry which wasn't very good. So there was, you know, Chumbawamba made records about, you know, EMI and, and you know, yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't something to take lightly. Because... Well, but, so, but so did the Sex Pistols. They made records about EMI on Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is true. This is true. But yes, it was a big thing. And actually, you know, the second album for the Fuzzbox didn't sound as good as Boston Steve Austin because it sounded a bit more 
overproduced and it was like, yeah, you've lost your magic, really, haven't you? Let's face it. But anyway, that's the um, that's my opinion. No, no, well, it's, uh, what you say is absolutely true. But, um, and I'm not making excuses for them at all because I, I, I'm firmly in your camp that um, BSA is great and Big Bang is not great then that's me being polite um well i suppose but, you could you you know to, to do boston but, steve austin was it was a particular like they were they're like sort of teenage girls given a fucking sniff of it so you're gonna go for it in Yes, absolutely. I mean, they, they've they've been they they went and they played Singapore and Japan, and um, Madonna's manager wanted to manage them and blah 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 blah. And when you re, when when you know that you're sort of um, a seventeen year old with kind of limited talent in Birmingham. Then that that smells real nice, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. You'd be mad not to, I suppose, take it. But I suppose, as with a lot of, unfortunately for them, it flopped. Yes, it would. You know have. what I mean? Yeah. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm sure one of them will be on pointless celebrities before too long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but then you have that tricky period, not tricky, but you know, you you know from the wilderness to well no, it wasn't the wilderness, but then you you kind of have that solo album where you've got a very floppy fringe and they're throwing some sort of sexy shapes on the album. So, were you was this your kind of I don't know, David Bowie kind of mid 80s period when you when you were doing your solo stuff? I well, I don't know what um, David Bowie's mid-80s period would be because um, I gave up on him. Um, you know, when Diamond Dogs came out, that was enough for me. Um, I, I, I suppose what I've just said about Fuzzbox uh, applies to me, really. I, I'd, I wasn't, um, I wasn't looking for the the stars or anything. Um, but when the Nightingales, the Nightingales sort of fell apart around me because I was spending too much time uh, producing Fuzzbox and being being a Fuzzbox bloke. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and and so my band at the time sort of fell apart. And um, uh, but I continued writing songs, and John Peel kept. Um, uh, inviting me in to do sessions. So literally, it was um, when I had four. When I had four new songs, I'd ring up John Peel and say, "Can I come and do a session?" Uh, and I was using the BBC really as a sort of uh, demo studio, I suppose. Yes. Uh, and um, and one of those songs was "Nothing Matters." And when John Peel broadcast that, I had. Anyway, yeah, a handful of labels got in touch with me, going, "We want to sign you up." And uh, and to cut a long story short, I went with Virgin Records, and I thought I was going to have a hit single. So, um, so I was kind of quite happy to have. um, And it was when would this be? The late eighties, early nineties, or something? Yeah. 
but I was quite happy to have uh, um, a silly haircut and um, and go along with it because I thought, oh yeah, of um, I, I thought I was on the verge of making it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was quite tricky to say that, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say about it, really. Well, I mean, I don't regret any of the material, and I, I, and actually, David, I don't, I, I don't regret the haircut or anything either. You know, it was just like um, it was of its time, wasn't it? It was, know? yeah. I think I, it was I, a... I, I, if. If you knew me better than one telephone call, you'd realise that what I do is live by the fucking minute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually... Um, there's no real... You know, I've never sat down and planned anything. And um, and that was the thing at the time. It's like, you know, there was these major record companies going like... Oh, you could be a pop star with this song. And I was going like, oh, well, what what kind of haircut does a pop star have? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is your stylist, I guess. Your stylist would have come up with that. And uh, your photographer as well. So, But then what was quite interesting, because, I, you know, like Michael and Stuart were saying that suddenly, you know, other parts of your career, they thought, what, what happens in the 90s? You'd sort of, it was almost like uh, Brando in Apocalypse Now. But then you, you sort of become this amazing video, is it producer, that, that suddenly... Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of quite extraordinary because obviously this is the time when videos are everywhere and Britpop was happening and you were working with bands like Cienz and Etienne. So that must have been quite an odd experience having to make that up as you went along. It was very odd. I, 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 the truth of the matter is I never enjoyed it at all, but it was... Um, I, I earned some money from it and... And in retrospect, I did have some kind of fun from it, but um, I didn't. I didn't like it at the time, and that and that is the truth of the matter. But then um, I don't know. You, some people like uh, Sarah from Saint Etienne, Louise from Sleeper. Um, actually, that's probably where it ends. But I, I was going to say I'd bet some nice people. <laughs> 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 But ultimately, it's. Um, I've said this so many times, but it's true. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're um, take that or you're Bjork, really. When it comes to videos, it's just three minutes of some cunt showing off in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably it's window dressing, isn't it? Let's face it. But then you, you get to work with Stephen Wells, the famous, which they do have a fantastic clip of him on stage ranting. And that must have been quite, you know, because he's such a nice sort of iconic character. But, but, I, yeah, but I, knew, I, I knew Swells from years before that, which is how I got to be involved in the the video thing anyway, you know. Um, He'd, he'd sort of supported the Nightingales many times, and and then it turned into a situation where him and a total other stockbroker, as and when they, um, either of them, all together, you know, they'd play in, in Birmingham or in the Midlands, and they'd come and stay at my place. Um, 
So I knew him. I knew him very well. Uh, an absolute. Um, <laughs> he would. He would. He, I'm just thinking of it now, and he would hate me saying this, but he was like an absolute diamond geezer. <laughs> and, and and he would to be called a geezer. He would. It would kind of turn his stomach, you know. But um, the the great thing about my relationship with with Swells, really, like on a on a totally personal level, um, we were. Complete chalk and cheese, really. He w- he was woke before the word existed, and considered me an absolute philistine, you know. And um, and somehow that clash worked. <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know what to say beyond that. Well, it's interesting because I suppose I'm, you know, looking back at my 80s self and probably now, I was probably, I would probably be quite wokey, kind of all very sensitive and sort of, oh my God, you can't say that and can't do this in a way. I think that's what woke kind of means. I sometimes get confused what these things mean now, actually. You can get insulted and you kind of have to ask the person what, what they're trying to insult you with. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I... Well, I suppose I've gone full circle, really, where I'm back in that, uh, yeah, kind of, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of in the um, political correctness gone mad brigade, I suppose. Yes. But, um, you know, my, my entire... Uh, background and history will, will, speaks for itself really, you know um, in terms of you know, where I am politically or whatever and and I was never a Philistine anyway but it was just Swells Swells was such a well, he was just such a communist really. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, and, uh, and we spent Years, like I mean, years, sat, um, sat next to each other, sat like three foot apart for um, every, on a daily basis, you know, sort of five days a week, and then we played football with each other on on a Sunday. So for six days a week for about three or five years or something. Blimey, that's longer than most people's marriages. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and um, and all we ever did was row about... Uh, it's funny that you should mention, you know, marriages, because all we ever did was row about trivial things. We both... We both knew that the other one was right. <laughs> 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 we both were on the same fucking page, you know, but um Yes. Well that's that's what you <laughs> yeah. do. So we saw because there was a sort of sense in the film there was kind of with you and Stuart which works really well. I mean the 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 idea of this kind of false the false narrative that you're both wondering, you know, how much of it's true. But did is it is it the case then that you get this kind of amazing deal with the BBC and it's like, right, we're gonna make this series and by the time you got back to the office you had completely you know, fallen out and Swells picks up his box and just disappears. 
Yeah, that that is that is. Um, I was going to say one of the true things in the film. That's probably the truth. That's probably the one truth <laughs> in the film. Yeah. But you, um, but that must have been amazing to have found because uh, you know, they, as they said, they found the script and they were able to sort of do a little bit of a read through of it. Did that? Um, did that bring back any memories when you were like, "Oh my God, yes, this all this was only thirty years ago, but now now they've started saying it." Yes, I can remember this. I got I got kind of emotional about it when they when they did it. Really, um, actually, um, thinking of swells, you know, because. Um, He's died in the meantime, um, and he's younger than me, and blah, blah, blah. And he was such an amazing talent. I mean, on on another phone call, David, because we haven't got the time to do it now. I mean, I could do I could do uh, a whole interview with you just talking about him and the things he did, um and stuff he wrote for the enemy and blah blah blah. Um, yes, was I? I didn't interview with him. So, so it, 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 it did make me emotional when they did that read through. But then I also thought, if I'm if I'm totally honest about it, that's just a really that that sitcom thing is like a really really minuscule part of my life. And the fact that um, they assembled that kind of cast and spent so much time on it, I was thinking, like, well, what's this got to do with me? That's what I thought, <laughs> really. <laughs> yes, you know, sort of waving in the corner going, excuse me, the film, the film's about me. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, I, and I figured in the end, I mean, I might be right or wrong, I don't know. I mean, history should have told me that I'm wrong. <laughs> but um, I think they ended up using that stuff because they'd assembled so many uh, sort of well-known faces who presumably did it for fuck all. And, uh, and it was like sort of, oh, as they've all turned up and done it for free, we've got to put them in for a few minutes. It's like when, you, when, you, when you're a a producer of a pop promo, like I have been, somewhere along the line, the band or the manager or something will go like, oh, can you put um, a shot of the drummer in? <laughs> <laughs> and you go, you go, no, it's like, it's fucking Louise from Sleeper, that's all the people are interested in. They don't want to see the bloke on the drums. And they go, oh, yeah, but... You know, they'll be upset if he's not in it. And it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the cheesy drama shot. So look, I, okay, well, you've got that bit, but then the one that the kind of, without being too much of a crowd, uh, I don't know, spoiler alert, um, Robin Asquith appears. I mean, that's that's quite a surreal bit as well, because A, you know, it's like, my God, he's still alive, and B, he looks quite in good condition. So that was quite a strange moment. Well, I haven't met him, so... Um... Yeah, yes. yeah, I'm sure he is in good condition. No, because but he... that bit, that bit of me saying, "Oh, um, going to the gym and being in the shower with him and all that kind of stuff," is actually true. <laughs> so um, I know he denies it, but um, 
He obviously does go to the gym, doesn't he? Because he does look in good condition. Well, I, I, absolutely. So, look, coming back to the, you know, the, the way the Nightingales have reformed and are still sort of a powerhouse, the one thing I noticed on the musical front, and it was probably because I did an interview with John French, drum by French, um, and then went to see the Magic Band, is that you've got a sound which kind of reminds me much more of Captain Beefheart now than what you sounded like in the early days. Would you sort of agree, agree with that kind of, um, yes, the, the kind of the sonic quality of the, of the current lineup and the kind of last two albums? Um, yes. Yes, I would agree with that. Or, or, as we would say in the modern era, 100%. <laughs> yes. And it has, I mean, did it, I mean, having Flick, on drums, has that sort of created, you know, a bit more of a solid outfit and band? Um. Oh gosh, no. I think it's. I think it's been a. You know, I think the most important component of it actually has been Andy on the bass, because. Um, don't get me wrong, I think that Fliss is a fantastic drummer. And um, I've been lucky in, in the, for anyone who could be bothered to look at it would see that each Nightingale's drummer has got better and better and better and better. And I think I'm at a point now that if um, if Fliss was to pack it in, then it would probably be the end of the band because I can't think that we could possibly find a better drummer than she is. But um, in answer to your question, no, I think that Andy, the the bass player, has been the one that's actually made the group. Um, it was it was always sort of me and my. Um, Sometimes good, sometimes shit ideas, um, and 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 never uh, what's the word, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, just like an ever flowing cast of characters trying to um, trying to. <laughs> it makes me sound like some fucking. Uh, Roman emperor or something, you know, but like there was this ever-changing cast of characters trying to satisfy my needs. <laughs> and and, uh, and once he came along, it was like, oh, now, now we're talking kind of thing. Right. Um, and um, and Fliss... Yeah, I, I mean, she's... The icing on the cake, I suppose, really. But um, but in answer to your original question, no, I don't think it was Fliss that that, that kind of made the Nightingales be the great band that I think it is now. I think it was Andy that made it. Pulled it together. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, no, also, because I, I suppose a bit like David Bowie and also... Various other, well, Marky Smith, I suppose. It's like you've often worked with a lot of different musicians, and sometimes in Bowie's case, it seems to have complemented his kind of albums. But at the same time, it must be quite hard when you're you're constantly thinking, "Oh my God, we've got another guitarist or another 
drummer or another bass player. So it must be quite nice to feel like you're a solid outfit at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's also fearful because um, I think that were any of them to leave, it's the end. <laughs> uh, I, you know, like uh, irre- irre- irreplaceable kind of thing. So um, that's not that's not a nice feeling to have. Thank- thankfully, um, I think I'm more likely to die than f- for any of them to leave. Which is which is a comforting thought, really, isn't it? I mean, on on on, <laughs> keeping it positive on a positive note. Um, so I suppose there's a sort of swings and roundabouts. But then, I mean, with with you know, on the just slightly going back to the film because that's what we were talking. I like the way you pass it. I'm swings and roundabouts. You fucker. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh my God, God. Uh, but did you get more emotional seeing the gorilla or the stone circle in the film? Oh, definitely the gorilla. The stone circles meant nothing to me. That was, um, I understood why Stuart was trying to do it. Because it was ultimately sort of, um, these things, this is the way I see it anyway. I think he was sort of going, oh, these things are forgotten, but they're very meaningful and they mean a lot to some people and they're historically much more important than that pile of mud over there. And it was like sort of, and that's what the Nightingales are. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what I think he was trying to do. But in terms of like a kind of visual thing on a on a Sunday morning taking me out in the freezing cold to look at some fucking bricks on the on a hill. I was really unimpressed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like um right. Um Whereas when we went up to see the King Kong, which I had seen in, that's, you know, I had seen when it was in the bull ring in Birmingham. And I thought it was great. And to see it was still there was just amazing, really. Yes, well, I... I, I mean, I, I, I was actually quite... Um, on the... Uh, forgetting that it's a film, <laughs> right? Um, I would say probably the two things that the, the making of the film touched touch me was Danny Fields, like the, Danny actually turn, turning up, Danny still having... Uh, you know, a letter that had been written and blah blah blah. That was that was one thing. And the other thing was actually seeing the King Kong um statue. I didn't really understand why Stuart I mean I, I knew that he didn't want to do the standard sort of rockumentary, you know, Robert Lloyd was born in 1959 in Cannock in Staffordshire and show a picture of me with my mum and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, like uh, do some sort of what I would call a kind of Gallagher (laughs) documentary. 
Um, so I knew he didn't want to do that, but I didn't really understand the the King Kong vibe. But we just went along with it, and when we actually went and saw the thing, it was just like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, I, was, uh, I guess uh, it's nearly 50, nearly 50 years ago. And also, I suppose the other thing that was quite emotional about the film was that there was kind of bits of Stuart's life as well sort of intertwined slightly which kind of you know it was talking about his spot the ball competition that he had when he was young with his grandmother but then he mentioned his you know being in a children's home in some place that had a connection with you so it was kind of it was nicely balanced it kept the sort of film flowing so to speak yeah well he's um he's a great bloke isn't he (laughs) Yes, and, uh, you know, and uh, I, I, I wouldn't say, and I don't think Stuart would say that the film is sort of as much about him as it is about me, because well, it isn't, but um, yeah, but it's it's quite revealing, you know. It's um, he's an he's an open he's an open fellow, and with the uh, the kind of stand up he does, where he. Um, pretends to be a sort of arrogant braggart kind of character um, which is I think is brilliant you know um, but I, this this sort of gave him a little bit of a chance to to sort of explore another side of himself <laughs> no it sounds I know that sounds really pretentious but um, yes. um well, you know, you were in a stone circle. That is pretty pretentious. But then at the very end, because Stuart loves breaking down, you know, the kind of mechanics of comedy or, you know, stuff. You also do that little thing at the end as well on the credits, don't you, where you, you sort of deconstruct how you put a song together, which obviously is a nice little cheeky, little cheeky number, isn't it? Yeah, but we'd written that number, um, I don't know, you know, I mean... Quite a few years before the film had come to come to happen. Um, the the weird thing is that we actually, um, well, I say we, you know, um, a couple of us went to see one of Stewart's uh, more recent tours. <laughs> no one's done any tours, have they? For mm-hmm. ages. But. Um, and um, and it was one of the pieces of music he played before he came on. Right. And uh, that just made me think a, a bit about the content. Because at the time, as, as you can imagine, um, I mean, it's quite throwaway, you know. Or it was as far as I was concerned. It wasn't like a sort of big intellectual... Um, thesis about rock and roll music um it was just a throwaway kind of joke and 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 as much as anything else the uh the the gag that I wanted to get across because it drives me to distraction is when you're watching television and they come and they kind of go coming up in this program and you go well fuck off just <laughs> Let's just let's just see it when it happens, and then they go. And what's just happened is, and you go. Oh no! I just watched it. You fuck, you know. And I was just 
And I was, um, and I'm, I'm, uh, my life is so luxurious that I'm, I'm, I'm allowed for that kind of nonsense to rile me up. Um, and then when um, Stuart picked up on it, I think it was more Michael actually than Stuart that had picked up on the the thing, the Gale stock. You know, he was like, oh well, here we are making a document we've got to use that haven't we <laughs> yes you know <laughs> it's like how can we how can we how can we make a documentary about the nightingales and not use that bit. a song about making a film about the nightingales um, yes and then you know I mean God bless Samira because she was just so good. Yes. Just to, to, just to turn up and then, um, you know, because if you said to me now, uh, tell me the word, because they were, I made the words up as we went along, you know, in the studio. So for her to learn an ad-libbed sort of um, drunken Midland bloke, to learn every intonation <laughs> and, and, and do it, so you just go. This is beyond the call of duty, really. You know. So uh, she did it beautifully. She did it beautifully. She did. She did. Yeah. She's amazing. And 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 um, I mean, were it not, for, I, I was desperately trying to avoid mentioning the fucking pandemic. Um, just like I'm not going to say the words. Unprecedented or robust. <laughs> yes. God, um, no, but at the time, the film would have come out when she'd just done that um, off the back of her um, doing the BBC um, sexism payout kind of gag. And. Um, and it would have had. There was just so much punch that could have been had at the time, but we've. Uh, I don't know. The film. It's 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 a, it's a it's a weird one, David. Talking to you, even talking to you now, it's like. Um, it seems like years ago when we did it. Yes, I could imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, it's not like. Oh, there's this new film about Robert Lloyd and the Nightingales by Stuart Lee and Michael coming. It's like which which there is, and which um, I'm uh, contractually obliged to pretend <laughs> is, uh, is the uh, is the the way it is. But to me, it's like a fucking history already. You know, to me. I guess but, yes, absolutely. You know, like oh, I did, yeah, I did that years ago. Yes. Well, look, Rob, I'm going to have to go at one, and I think you've got an appointment as well, haven't you? So, um, but yeah, thank you ever so much for this. This has been fantastic, and um, yeah, when I put it out, I'll I'll send Fliss a copy or link or you, in fact, as well. So um, we'll put it out there before the sixth of February. But I've got um, bizarrely. 
a man to talk about bricks to me, which is annoying. Um, but that's life, isn't it? It's what happens when you get older. Uh, no, I mean, bricks... Bricks... In, in the scheme of things, bricks will be more important than Robert Lloyd, believe me. Um, bricks it is. But anyway, look... Uh, but, but, uh, um, f- but anyway, before you go, David, Fliss said, because I don't do any of the internet-y kind of stuff. Yeah. So she said um, to let her know when it's going to go out. So can you make sure you do that? Yeah, definitely. And also I'll keep in touch with her because she's, she's obviously... She's very good on her admin, I believe. Right, but a bit of a she, bit of. Well, she's the, she's the man as far as uh, the Nightingale's business is concerned. So anything you need to do on that level, get in touch with her. I will. Meanwhile, very nice to speak to you. Oh, um, to be honest, um, C eighty six um, kind of felt filled me with dread, but the <laughs> fact that you. Um, uh, that you knew who Danny Fields were was, and um, and you've laughed in all the right places. So it's been a pleasure. Yeah, and do oh yeah, just say do check out the fat Danny Fields film because it will just amuse you from start to finish. It really is quite but a story. It's quite believe believe me, I will do. Okay, take care, Rob. Take care. See you later. And you and you too, mate. Bye bye. There you go. That is the end of the interview. I love leaving that last bit in because it sounds very sort of awkward and. Uh, we don't know how to quite finish it, which I, I quite enjoy hearing because it slightly makes you want to crawl under the bed. But anyway, look, that's it. End of the interview. Thank you to Rob Lloyd. Uh, as you get the, uh, you probably, if you got to this part of the interview, you'll realise there's a film out called King Rocker. It's on Sky, 6th of February. Check it out, 2021. It will be available from all sites, I suppose. And um, hopefully on DVD very soon. It's a classic, I have to say. Um, and I wouldn't if I would just kind of fudge that bit, but I would recommend it to anybody who likes music and a good film. Anyway, if you want to contact me for some random reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show. Keep it positive. Otherwise, don't bother. And um, yes, all these interviews have been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Check them out. They might just change your life. They probably won't. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.